Uh, our scripture reading for today is in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the entire chapter. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to there. If you don't have Bibles, uh, a Bible, we have them at the ends of the pews that you can use. And if you don't own a Bible, I'd encourage you, uh, you could take that home with you as a gift from us. Uh, so we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the, king's, then the king called Ziba, Saul's secret servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. We are in uh, one of my favorite passages in the scripture this morning, uh, the story of Mephibosheth. So uh, I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, I'm going to tell the story. And then afterwards, we're going to just uh, lift out uh, a few life-changing truths. Um, as I tell the story, uh, I want to remind us, uh, let's listen with uh, Jesus' ears on, uh, a lens for Jesus. Remember, we talked about how Jesus uh, came in Luke chapter 24 after he's resurrected, and he talked to his disciples, and he said, uh, the whole scriptures point to me, Jesus. And we talked about these four ways, so, so listen with these ears as we go through the story. That, uh, you know, all the scriptures are one redemptive story from start to finish. Adam and Eve, and then into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and into Moses, and, and Joshua, and on and on. It's one story, and, and, and when we're hearing about Adam uh, falling in sin, we think, oh, Jesus is coming next, one who will not fall in sin uh, one who will live in righteousness, one who will pay for our sin. Uh, it's all one story, and, and Jesus is coming next at some point. Uh, foreshadowing is another way to read the Old Testament and all the Scriptures pointing to Jesus. When, when we read in the Old Testament uh, an event or something that occurs in the life of Israel or God's people, it foreshadows or pictures often uh, something in Jesus' life, who He is as our Savior. Of the Passover lamb, sacrifice for us. We look forward and say, oh, Jesus is like the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but he's a perfect, greater sacrifice made for us. Uh, another way is prophecy. Uh, back in the Old Testament, we point forward and then we say, oh, Jesus is, he will be born here. He will be like this when he's crucified. His bones won't be broken. Uh, different prophecies from the Old Testament that point forward to the new. And we say, oh, Jesus is, he's foretold. 
And then the last is a typology, a person in the Old Testament. And, and this is one of the ways we're focusing in the good, bad, and the ugly series. That, that someone in the Old Testament, he, he lives like Christ, like he's a mighty, amazing king, but, but we say, oh, Jesus is better than that king. Or we see in the Old Testament someone who lives uh, uh, sinfully and wretchedly, and we say, oh man, my sin is just like that person's sin. I, I need a Savior like Christ. Jesus is better. He is like and unlike everyone in the Old Testament. All right. Let's get into the story. Uh, parts of this, uh, it, it'll feel a little bit like maybe you're reading a commentary along with this passage. We're just going to kind of walk verse by verse through it and, and let the story come to life. Uh, so, Father, we come to you this morning and we say, God, God, would you open our eyes? Would you open our minds? Would you open our hearts? to see your Son more clearly, more radiantly, that we would love Him more. We would cling to Him more. We would see what He's done for us. We would have a fresh taste of His grace. And it would transform our lives. God, thank You so much for Your words in the Scriptures that we might hear from You out of them, that our lives might be transformed and we would find life in Your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, here's the story. And David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still anyone in the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God to him? Here's the context of, of the story. We're in Second uh, Samuel. What, what's occurred? You know, let's go back a little bit in the story. You've got Moses and Joshua. Uh, Moses has rescued God's people out of Egypt, and then uh, Joshua takes God's people into the Promised Land. They're in the Promised Land. They're they're living as God's people, but they keep oscillating in sin. And you got this time of the judges. They'll, they'll live righteously, but then they'll fall back into sin and idolatry, and, and they'll be judged by uh, a foreign land. will come in and conquer them, and a judge will rescue them. And, and then uh, at some point, the people are like, we want a king like other nations have a king. And God says, fine, I am your king, but I'll give you a human king. So he gives them Saul. Uh, Saul is not a great king. He's the first of the three major kings of Israel. And, and so you've got Saul here, and then uh, David comes along, and, and the prophet Samuel anoints him as the king to come who will take Saul's place. Now Saul has a son who's Jonathan. Uh, David becomes great friends with Jonathan. Uh, they fall in love in the deepest of brothers. They love one another as brothers. They make a covenant together. They, they love each other. And, and they, uh, you know, so, so you've got Jonathan, who is uh, Saul's son. And then you've got David, and they're great friends. And then, uh, through a series of events, uh, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle with David's family and house. And so Saul is dead, and David is now the new king. Jonathan is dead, and David is the new king. That's the setting here. David has ascended to the throne. He's beginning his rule and reign. And he says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? Now when a king says this, Everyone in the house of Saul, the previous king, uh, they, their knees start shaking. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul, David says? Uh, because here's what's expected. Uh, David is to, in a sense, like any good king would, go and slaughter everyone in the line of Saul so there's no insurrections and he holds the throne as his own. Actually, that's what people have been doing on behalf of David. and They're, they're killing the house of Saul. And David just, he just keeps showing kindness to Saul's house. Uh, even when Saul was alive, uh, David has these multiple opportunities to kill him. And David says, I I'm not going to harm the Lord's anointed. They're in a cave one time. David takes a piece of his cloak and he says, I, I could have killed you there, but, but I didn't. I, like, I'm not, I'm not uh, bringing evil on you. 
Uh, when the messengers come and tell David, the new king, uh, that Saul has been killed in battle, his son Jonathan has been killed in battle, uh, you'd expect David to be like, yes! He mourns and weeps and wails, and, and he, he kills those messengers. <laughs> over and over again, he's showing kindness to the house of Saul. Uh, there's these two rogue killers who are out, and they, they, they kill Ishbosheth, uh, uh, Saul's son, and, and then David gets word that he kills those two guys. He says, no way. And here he says, is there anyone left in my enemy's line that I might show them kindness? Is there anyone out there in Saul's line I could be kind to pour out the love of God on? And notice why he says this, so that I might show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. Is there anyone in my enemy's line I can show kindness to for uh, the sake of another? This, this one I've made a covenant with, Jonathan, my good friend, the, the son of Saul. If you go back, and we don't need to go there now, but back into 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 13 to 16, and then particularly verse 42. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, what we see is uh, David and Jonathan have made a covenant. And, and David says to Jonathan, because Jonathan, he goes, man, I know you're the Lord's anointed. I know you're going to be the next king. And when you become king, would you show kindness to my family? In a sense, would you not wipe us out? And David says, I promise to you, I will not wipe your family line out. I will show you kindness. And he repeats that same promise to Saul when they're in that cave in, in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, verse 14. Saul is here and he says, oh, David, you, basically Saul's like, I realize how wretched a king in person I am, Saul's saying. He's like, but David, you're so righteous, you're so wonderful, you could have killed me, and you didn't. And, and, and David says to him, I promised your son Saul that I would not wipe out your line or you, I'm not against you. David is continually showing kindness and keeping his covenant for the sake of another to show kindness to Saul's house. The story goes on. Ziba is called to David, and Ziba is this mighty servant of Saul's. He's got you know, 15 sons, 20 servants himself. He's a man of power. He kind of knows what's going on in the area. So Ziba comes, and David says to him, is there anyone left that I could show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him with the house of Machir and the son of Amiel, at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now, uh, Mephibosheth, uh, if you're looking for a, a new name to name one of your sons coming up, his name means son of shame. Probably don't go with that. <laughs> Mephibosheth is called into the scene. Uh, Ziba goes and gets him from the place of low to bar. No word, no place, no power. A place where low, nothing, no bread. Just, he, he's got nothing. He's out there in the middle of nowhere with nothing. He's a son of Jonathan, who's the son of Saul, which puts him in the enemy line. Uh, the only ones left that uh, have a legitimate claim to the throne that David is now on who should be wiped out, and actually we'll come to find out he has his own son, Micah, at this point. So he's a legitimate threat to the throne. An enemy in the line of Saul, a son of Jonathan. But at this point, he's a cripple, and he's in Lodabar. As a cripple, he is shamed, he's left out, he lives a life of a beggar. He finds himself in a place of no word, no power, lost. Ever he goes, he looks down on, he probably doesn't go very far from his home. He's outcast and lost. Uh, we know how he's crippled. If you turn back into 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, 
the scene is this, that uh, uh, Saul's son has heard that Saul's uh, general has been killed, and so things are getting worse for anyone left in the line of Saul as David ascends to the throne. And listen to this in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, and Jonathan's now dead, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And Mephibosheth's nurse took him up and he fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. He was born walking and in fleeing after hearing the news that Saul, his granddad, and Jonathan, his dad, are now dead at the hand of uh, David's family and, and David's general. Um, the nurse uh, aptly says, we got to get out of here. She picks up Mephibosheth and runs with him, a little guy, five years old, and drops him in her haste. And his feet are broken and he's lame the rest of his life. Uh, used to be uh, at birth was named Maribal, uh, against Baal, or advocate against Baal and the, uh, the uh, idols of the time. Now he's named Mephibosheth, son of shame. And David says, go get him. Go get that one. He's the one I want. Uh, you can picture the scene. Uh, Ziba comes up to the house and Mephibosheth is there, crippled. He's been that for years, since age five. We don't know how old he is, a young man at this point with his own son. And there's a knock at the door. Mephibosheth knows he's an enemy of the king. Mephibosheth knows he has nothing, no land. He's lost everything. He's in Lodabar, a place of no word, no power, and he's lost and desperate. He's waiting for the mercy of death to end his life. But instead, there's a knock of God and grace and mercy at his door. And Ziba, you can picture him saying, I'm here for Mephibosheth. Uh, David the king wants you. And Mephibosheth at this point is like, Oh my God, this is it. I'm done. This is the moment I've been dreading my whole life. Like, I, I, he's coming to get me. I've lost everything and now I'm dead. And he comes into the king's chamber at the beckoning of the king who loves him for the sake of another. And verse 6 and 8 read, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and he fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered. And you can guess at that moment, uh, Mephibosheth is saying, there's a different tone in that voice than I expected. And David said to him, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid an homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Do not fear, David says. I came out of my own initiative and kindness to, to move towards you to show you kindness and love and mercy. Why? For the sake of another. In a sense, it has nothing even to do with you, Mephibosheth. And, and then what's he do? He restores to him the land of his father and his grandfather, Saul and David. That's, uh, Saul and Jonathan. That's, that's no little bit of land. That's a massive amount of land. He gives him Ziba's servants to care for him and till the land that it would bear produce and bread that he could eat. He gives him a ton of stuff and blessing. But even more so, he says, you shall eat at my table always. 
you will be my son. You were outcast, but you are now welcomed in. You were crippled. You were left out to die. Uh, You had the wrath of the current king on you, but now you shall be called my son. Always to eat at my table. The king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson, Mephibosheth. You and your sons, your servants, they're going to till the land for him. You shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may be, have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Whose table? My table. The table of the king. Now Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord, the lord king, commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's king's table like one of the king's sons like one of the king's sons and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table now he was lame in both feet a new creation the old is gone the new has come A rebel, outcast, orphan, brought in, made a son, made a daughter. All that was lost, the inheritance that was his, now given back by the new king. Mephibosheth, he summarizes kind (laughs) of in verse 8. I love it. He pays homage to David. He says, what is your servant that you should show regard to a dead dog like me? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Can you imagine their conversation at the table? You know, Mephibosheth has moved to Jerusalem. He's not just living uh, in Jerusalem. He's in the uh, king's uh, palace eating at his table. Can you imagine Mephibosheth one day? David, I like, what do I do with all this land? (laughs) David's like, ah, man. It's all yours. Enjoy it. Till it. You've got all these servants that are working for you. Enjoy it. I've given it to you freely. Can you imagine that evening? It's, they've gotten to know each other a bit more, and David says, hey, tell me the story of your feet. And Mephibosheth opens up. He says, man, it, we, we heard news that my father and my grandfather had been killed, and we knew I was in trouble, and my nurse picked me up, and we ran, and and I, I can imagine the two of them and David weeping together with him and embracing him as his son who suffers and walks with him and says, I'm so sorry, but I'm with you. I'm with you now. Can you imagine Mephibosheth at dinner? He says uh, one day, David, why'd you do this? Why? Why'd you do it? And David gets to tell the story. He said, man, I loved your dad so deeply. It's because of my love for him that I poured out the riches of my whole kingdom on you. I made you a son. I made you a daughter. Nothing will change. Always in my house. You'll never lose it. You never earned it. You'll, You'll never lose it. you imagine that time David you know he says um, man how's it feel to be crippled when, when people look at you and the depth of your pain tell me about it I want to hear about it the king says and he listens intently as his own son shares his story of what it feels like to have that weakness and that shame and he takes it on himself and he embraces his son at the table. You know, the story ends in some in verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. It's beautiful, isn't he? He ate always at the king's table like one of the king's sons. 
and he is lame in both feet. Undeserving, weak, outcast, an enemy of the king, yet eating always at the king's table. Embrace brought in a new creation. The grace of God poured out on him. Both true at one time. Have we been listening with Jesus' ears on? (laughs) A few life-changing truths. Here's a few life-changing truths. We are Mephibosheth. (laughs) If we haven't gotten it yet, (laughs) we are Mephibosheth. Our God uh, in heaven, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, uh, the Son says, I will go, and he empties himself and takes on the very uh, nature of a servant and human likeness. He becomes obedient to death, even death on our cross to make us sons and daughters. He says, I'm going to go. I'm going to chase him down. I I want that one by grace. And in a holy, cosmic sort of way, the Son leaves heaven and comes into earth and into history. But, but not just as his pursuit of a massive, cosmic one coming to save the world. He came into your life and rescued you. He chased you down through that friend or that conversation or that suffering, and He drew you to Himself by His grace. He ran us down. And the lavish love of God was poured out. Uh, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He first loved us and He gave His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, I love that one so much, I will give my Son that he or she could become my son or daughter family. He lavishes His love on us. Who us? Dead dogs like us. Crippled in both feet. Left out. Desolate by our own sin and destruction. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of our God. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. None of us deserving to be in the family at the table of our King. And all this for a sake of another. (laughs) An alien righteousness uh, made sons and daughters because of who Jesus is and what he did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin on our behalf that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we could be adopted and blessed as his very sons and daughters. Uh, John 1, verse 12, yet to those who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, always eating at the table of God, always as the king's son, as the king's daughter, always to to, uh, take on the inheritance of our God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Never to be separated. We are Mephibosheth, and wow, do we have a mighty Savior in our God who sent His Son to die for us, and then by the power of the Spirit made us sons and daughters, opening our eyes to His great love. God is not out to get you. That's just what Mephibosheth thought. That's what we often think. Oh, in our sin, even as believers still, he wants to punish us for it. Or uh, In our sin prior to receiving Christ, oh, he would never receive me because of this thing that happened in my past or the guilt and the shame that still lingers. It's one of the most famous because it's one of the most glorious verses in the Scripture. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Oh, God loves you. He loves me so deeply because of the work of His Son. He's made you a son and daughter if you would believe in Him. 
Don't try and clean yourself up first before coming to the table. <laughs> the whole point of the table is that we are not clean. We are not able to make ourselves uh, good enough to come before our God. And he says, come to my table by the work, the life, the righteousness of another. You might be here this morning and you've never received Christ. You've never, you never trusted in what He's done for you. Man, this morning, would you just, all of us can close our eyes and would you just talk to Him right now and receive the grace of Jesus that He has poured out on you? If you're already trusting in Christ, pray for those here that don't yet know Him and not yet received Him and, and think they need to clean themselves up first. Uh, would you know this morning that you can be made blameless and pure, a new creation by the grace of God, not by cleaning yourself up first, but simply receiving the great gift of the Son? And this morning, would you receive Him? Just talk to your Father quietly now. You don't deserve His grace. You don't deserve His love. You know what you've done. But would you receive his son and what he's done for you this morning? Talk to him quietly now. Father, would you welcome in new sons and daughters this morning by grace that they would always eat at your table and enjoy a relationship with you. You would meet them in every moment of their lives and they'd be family with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So don't try and clean yourself up first before coming to the table. That's not how this works. He invites us by grace and His kindness because of another. And us who are trusting in Christ, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget His grace. Ephesians 2, chapter 2 verses 1-10 to 10 says, You were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. We were, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, don't ever forget who we were, where we were headed before God came and He plucked us out. And He said, you might pursue that life of licentiousness but it would lead to death and he plucked us out you might uh, pursue uh, your own elevation in life and getting this or that but that would lead to death and security and finances or ascending uh, to validate ourselves he says don't go that way but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses dead made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, how He saved you. Where would you be today Was he, were He not to be with you today? Uh, were, were He not to have made you His son or daughter by grace? Where would you, what would you be pursuing that you would have thought, man, I would have found life there. You, you, were, you thought life was found in that. Or where would you be covered in shame still today had you not realized the grace of God poured out for you in Christ? Where would you be alone today without your Savior? See, the difference between entitlement and gratitude is an accurate self-assessment. <laughs> Mephibosheth says, I'm a dead dog, but you poured grace on me. Don't ever forget who you were, where you were headed, or who you are and where you would be headed without the grace of our God. He's made you a son or daughter by grace. A friend of mine, um, this is a few years back, and uh, he had uh, been stopped for a DUI. And uh, he had his court date set now this friend had said to me multiple times, I don't want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> Some of you have heard the fuller story. And so, you know, for years we just continued our friendship. Then one day I get this text from him. Can I come into the office so we can pray together? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and what had happened, he had had this court date set and he had taken off the week of work because he thought he probably would be in jail that week. And he showed up at court and 
the judge slams a hammer down and says, basically, the uh, lawyer didn't show up to prosecute you. You're free to go. You're forgiven. It's done. And the guy was like, what? <laughs> and so he comes and he says this little phrase to me. I just want to show uh, proper thanks to God for his kindness, and I want to give him my proper allegiance. I'll never forget it. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a softball if I ever see one to talk about Jesus. So I say, hey, we were all standing before the judgment seat of our God. None of us righteous. The gavel was about to come down in judgment. Yet instead, he crushed his son in our place, and he said, for the sake of my son, I'll welcome you in as a son or daughter. And his eyes went, boom. And he said, man, that's what God did for me in this moment, but that's what God has done for me in all of eternity. Just one of those sweet moments. I'll never forget it. I tell the story too much because it's amazing. <laughs> Don't forget the grace of God in your life. I'll never forget in college, I was living a duplicitous life, and, and by the glow of a computer screen, I was struck by my sinfulness and my immorality it was late at night and I just fell to the ground weeping and I remember the grace of God hit me in a new way that night uh, two things hit me one uh, this is who I am I'm a perverted sinner in need of grace I'm a cripple, a dead dog, and then at the same time, uh, not just who I am hit me, but then who my God is and how deeply He loves me, even in the moment of my sin. How He's beckoning me towards Him, saying, I love you as a son, and I have greater things for you. Would you love me and trust me in obedience and follow me in every step? And would you know you're cleansed, you're pure, you're blameless, you're mine? Never forget the grace of God. Spend time reflecting on our own sinfulness each day and, and be reminded, oh man, I am a sinful, broken man, but I am a loved son of God. That'll transform your life. Uh, second, these last uh, three life-changing truths are a bit quicker. This first one was the core one. The second is this. Show the kindness of our king. Show the kindness of our king to others. Blessed like David blessed, uh, but being compelled by Christ. Uh, David, you know, he, has to, he has to take this risk of kindness. Uh, Mephibosheth probably himself isn't that deep of a threat, but Micah, his son, is. And he says in this risk of kindness, come on into my house. And he pours blessing on them, giving them the kingdom back. That's a huge risk for David the king. A risk of faith that obviously says, I trust my God who put me here by grace. You read the Psalms, man. He knows I am a sinner in need of grace and anything God's ever given me, God has given me. And what he gives, he will take away. I will freely serve him with all things. So he extends this righteousness, this kindness to another, even though it may even cost him his own kingdom. It requires release, this kind of kindness, this release of judgment on another, and a release of reciprocation. He just says, because I've been blessed by my God in this way, I'm going to bless and show kindness. I made a covenant to Jonathan, his son, and also David knows the covenant that has been made with him by his God. 2 Samuel chapter 7 saying, uh, you will lead and your kingdom will lead to an eternal king when, when everything will be made right and new and your knees and everyone's knees and everything will be taken care of by this king to come in your lineage. Kindness doesn't just require release, it requires logistics. Oh, so, uh, David goes through here, he says, who's out there? I want to find him. <laughs> he sends Ziba his servant, he says, yep, it's going to be a little journey, let's get him here, let's, let's figure this out, and then he welcomes him to his table. It reminds me of Acts chapter 6, when the Hellenistic widows, they're, they're uh, famished, they're, they're starving, they don't have the food they need, and then the disciples say, how are we going to figure this out? And they extend the kindness of God in very practical, tangible logistics. It's risky and they do it. 
And kindness is often created over the table, at the table. Hospitality, extending relationship to others. The lost, the lonely, the unforgiven. Where do you need to show kindness this morning? To whom? Is there someone lost in your life you're overlooking, the lonely who are unconnected, but particularly someone you're not extending forgiveness to? Who are you not extending forgiveness to? In the face of our God and His grace, might we extend forgiveness and welcome others to the table. A third life-changing truth here is don't let God's people make you question God's love. This is an interesting one, and a bit of the story needs to be told here. Uh, The nurse who is uh, charged with taking care of Mephibosheth, a part of God's people here, uh, drops him. And he's crippled. And now you could see where that would take Mephibosheth in his mind. Oh my God who has forsaken me, does not love me, does not care, is not with me. Uh, She was supposed to care for me. Now I am crippled. You, God, must not love me. Now it gets worse because that was accidental, right? You've been in the church and you've had plenty of accidental moments like that where someone in the church has has harmed or hurt you and it's made you think, man, I I am questioning the love of God or some circumstance that maybe even be uh, accidental has harmed you in a way where you say, question the love of God. But it kind of gets worse because Ziba, you know, I'm the servant of Saul. You know, he loses all of his stuff in this transaction. (laughs) Kind of skim over that a little bit. All of his servants, all of his stuff goes to Mephibosheth. Well, back in, later in chapter 16, what will happen is there's this insurrection against David the king by his own son. And everyone uh, flees with David out of Jerusalem. Everyone who's with David is kind of saying, I'm with David, I'm going to stay on his team. They flee out of Jerusalem. And Ziba flees out of Jerusalem with David. And David, when he sees Ziba, he says, where's Mephibosheth? And Ziba says, he's staying back in Jerusalem. He's with the other guy. And he said, Mephibosheth said, uh, he can't wait till the whole kingdom gets back in his hands and out of your hands, David. That's what Ziba said. That's what Ziba says, Mephibosheth said. And you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, after he made him a son? Put him at the table of the king? And you read that, if you're just reading through the scriptures, you go, oh man, I can't believe Mephibosheth would do that. Then in chapter 19, the insurrection is quelched and quenched and, and squelched. I put those two together. And David comes into Jerusalem and he finds Mephibosheth there. And you can imagine this moment, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to give it to this kid. <laughs> and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He'd, never, he'd not even taken care of his feet or trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day the king came back. He's been weeping and mourning the loss of his king. He knows he's been slandered and shamed by Ziba, another one who's supposed to protect him. And, and David comes back in and he says to Mephibosheth, oh my gosh, why are you weeping? Why are you mourning? And Mephibosheth explains in verse 28 of chapter 19, all my father's house, we were but men doomed to death before my Lord, you the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king, David, said to him, why speak of these affairs anymore? He gives him back half his land. He gives Ziba back half the land. So they, they've got split land now. And listen to what Mephibosheth says in verse 30 of chapter 19. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all. I don't need the land. I don't need the stuff. I don't need all the goodness. Since my lord, the king, has come safely home, I want you. I don't even want all the stuff. What I want is you, the king, who loves me like a son. That's the key. To not letting God's people or a circumstance make you question God's love is a love for the king himself, not for all the stuff that comes along with the king. Lastly, and last life-changing truth here, your shame is where he shines. Your shame is often where he shines. Now, the place of your weakness, the place of my neediness, 
It might be a place of sin and shame. It might be a place of obedience where you, you know you want to take this step, but you don't have it in you. It might be a circumstance in your life, a, a child or the lack of a child or this or that life circumstance where you just say, I don't have what it takes. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And that is where he shines. Uh, Paul says, he says, uh, of his God, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and in my weakness, there you are strong. Where is it for you? Where is that place of shame or weakness or inability? Uh, for me, gosh, uh, and for many of us, you know, you think you're pretty strong, you think you're pretty awesome, and then you have a kid. And you're like, oh man. <laughs> and you see this little thing over there, and you're like, first the little sack of potatoes, and <laughs> like, how am I going to care for this thing? And uh, I think God's gracious at first, they're just a sack of potatoes that can't move around, and you know, so you kind of just have to carry it around for a little while. <laughs> nurse it and let it cry a lot and um, then they grow up and and our second daughter you know she there she is she turned 16 right in the middle there Eden she turned 16 last weekend I remember it's in the middle of your weakness where he often shows his strength it's in the middle of your inability where he shows how able he is it's in the middle of the things that are the hardest where he shows us just might and grace and where you realize oh what a good father i've got and she was nonverbal at three and she just kept growing up and her mind never developed and uh, to the way that you'd long for your kids minds to develop and so uh, she's intellectually disabled and so she hits 16, and we have this awesome party for last weekend. And all these women are there, friends and family. And you just look around, and you think, man, where we can't do it, where we're not enough. It, maybe it's the, the middle of your sin where you realize your shame and your guilt. There's nothing you can do to make up for it. And the Lord says, I've made up for it. You're my son or daughter. Come on in. I will meet that need by the grace of my son. Maybe it's your weakness. I cannot raise this kid on my own. I cannot do it, Lord. And he says, I will pile so much grace on your life to carry you through this more than you could ever imagine. In our shame and our weakness, he shines, and we got to share about Eden and just pour grace on her, and what a night it was. Oh, what a great God we have who loves us for the sake of another, makes us his sons and daughters, welcomes us to his table, always at his table, now and forever. You know, I, uh, we head into communion here. I, uh, I had this accountability partner in seminary, a guy we would meet and basically just talk about your sins together. <laughs> and then you'd remind each other, you're forgiven, you're loved. Like, uh, go in obedience and follow Jesus. He, you're his son. Go, go get it, right? The Lord loves you. Now go follow him in obedience. And we would talk. We had some questions we would go through. And then every once in a while, here's what he would say. Matt, talk to me about what you didn't want to talk to me about today. What was something you didn't want to share with me when you came in today? And I'd say, oh, dang. And sometimes I knew that question, right? So I would say at the beginning of our time, hey, look, here's what I don't want to talk to you about. <laughs> an area where I'm feeling super weak in my life, I don't have enough. An area of obedience where I'm, I'm so ashamed I can't take that step of obedience. Man, I want to risk in faith or, or an area of just weakness in my life or an area of guilt and shame and sin in my life. What is it that you don't want to talk to me about today? And he'd say, talk to me about that. <laughs> This morning, I want us to come before our Father. Come to His table by the grace of His Son. And if you're able and willing, would you kneel and would you talk to Him about that thing you do not want to talk to Him about? An area of weakness in your life, an area of lack of obedience, an area of sin or shame, 
Man, you just know, I, I could be so much better. I could be a better father. I could be a, a better mom. In my singleness, I can't believe I did this. You just bring whatever it is to him this morning at his table by his grace. Kneel down if you're able. Talk to him about that thing. And I'll lead us in communion in a moment. Father, every one of us crippled in both legs. Dead dogs. By our own devices and our own sin left out as orphans and rebels. But the love of our God. By your great mercy, Father, by your kindness. You drew us to yourself. You made us sons and daughters of the King. Always to eat at your table. Always to be welcomed. Always to be embraced. Always to be transformed in our allegiance to you. God, thank you this, that we are not alone. We sit at your table this morning and always. And into your eternal table when we will dine with you forever and enjoy a day when all is made new. Broken legs will be mended. Shame will be wiped away. The, the new creation that we are now will, be, will come to fruition. God, thank you that until that day we are, we're both crippled and sons of the King. And you carry us there. You give us life and joy and peace and purpose and family together with your church here. We love you. We give our allegiance to you. We give our lives to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you are trusting in Christ, or just this morning you received Christ, I take and eat and rejoice in being a son or daughter of the King by the grace of His Son. Let's take and eat.